Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. morning, Victory Church. It's so good to be back with you all. I missed you all very much. It's an honor to be back. And those of you watching online and those of you at the Edmond campus, it's such a pleasure to be here today. I'm excited to bring the word this morning. And so if you want to, you can start flipping over to Exodus chapter 1. I'm going to cover a couple things real quick, but if you need some time to, to start flipping over there. Uh, before I jump into the sermon, a couple of real quick things. One, I want us to pray uh, for, for the nation of Ukraine. I, I um, this morning, I was even thinking and processing through this, and, and sometimes we can feel hopeless, and we're kind of in our bubble in the West sometimes, and we don't know what to do. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more that, about that more in the service in a little bit, but I, I, one thing we can do is pray, um, and sometimes we just think prayer is this like transitional thing or something we do in church to pass the time, but I want to remind you, I was thinking about this this morning in the, in the book of Acts chapter 12, uh, Peter had been imprisoned by Herod. And uh, I can't remember exactly what verse it says, verse it is, but it says, but, there's a, there's a but, it says, but the church was praying. Yeah. And so while the church was praying, an angel was showing up to loosen his chains and, and let him out of prison. And so what we, we need to understand the power of prayer. And so we're the church, we are the church. And so because the church in Ukraine is suffering, we can pray because they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I want, us, I want us to pray, not as a, you know, let's, pat, let's transitional prayer. No, let's, let's take some time here for just a second, and let's war in the Spirit for what's happening in, in Ukraine. So, Father, we just come before you. We're so thankful that we can walk into the presence of God as children of God. And so we come together as the church. We are the bride of Christ. And so we pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine that are suffering, that are going through hardship, that are, that are scared, that are, don't know what's going to happen to them, specifically the church. God, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, God, I know of pastors that have chosen not to leave. They're staying there. They're ministering to people. They are feeding. They're giving water out. They're helping. They're being the boots on the ground. So we cover them with prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. Is in the same way the church prayed for Peter while he was in prison. We pray for the, for the nation of, of Ukraine. We pray that you would give them safety and protection and provision. Uh, God, give them wisdom to know when to flee and when to fight. Let them know exactly what they need to do, when to do it. Uh, let, let speak to them if they need to leave their house, if they need to leave where they're at. We just pray, God, that your spirit would dwell there, that your spirit would be uh, speaking to them so clearly during this time. And we pray that your armies would go and fight on their behalf, Lord. Be, be, be a weapon, Father, in their hands. We thank you for it. We, we, we thank you for what you're doing. And we believe that you can work all things together for your good. So bring revival, Lord. Bring revival in the nation of Ukraine. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said... Amen. Uh, next week, I'm going to be doing the State of the Church Address. If you're new to Victory Church and you have no idea what that is, uh, it's kind of a yearly family, I call it a family meeting. So we'll stream it live, but we won't post it on our website. It's just us. It's for our family. 
and uh, we're very vulnerable. I will talk about uh, how our church is set up, the structure. I'll talk about my accountability. I'll talk about how my salary is decided and how my salary is set. I go into a lot of very vulnerable, open things about where the church is at financially, what our debt is, all those sort of things, because we want to be a church leadership who leads with transparency. And we want you to be able to trust the church, trust the body of Christ, trust the place in which you sow your seed. And so we do this every single year. Uh, we'll give a little statement about where we're at as a church, and then I'll give some vision about where we're heading as a church and some of the things that God's putting in my heart. So you want to be here next week. You don't want to miss next week, okay? So that's, that's next week's day of the church address. All right. Uh, flip on over to Acts chapter, uh, Exodus, not Acts, Exodus chapter 1. Uh, and as you're flipping there, I want to uh, talk about my kids, all right? Do I have your attention? I'm trying to raise uh, teenagers. Anybody trying to raise teenagers in here? Wow, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, so here's what I've, I've noticed as my kids have gotten older. Um, the older they get, why are you giggling? You don't even know what I'm going to say yet. Somebody's giggling. Is that Julie? Um, as they age, it, it seems to happen so fast. Like I see people carrying little baby carriages around. I don't even, this sounds terrible, I barely even remember that. Uh, my kids are 14 and 11, and I, I barely even remember holding them. Uh, I love, have you ever heard the saying that the days are long, but the years are short? That's what it feels like. Uh, because there are days where I'm like, I don't know if this day's ever going to end. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever going to get through this day. But then there's other times where I see my, my kids from afar, and I'm like, where, when did this happen? Like, when did you grow up? When, when did you become an adult? You're like a small adult. When, when did this happen? And it happened so quickly. Um, even, even some of the mannerisms and how they, how they talk. Have you ever noticed this? All the parents. <laughs> it's fun to watch them go through different seasons and have little quirks that they have at certain seasons of their life. The quirk in my house right now is the word like. Because like every other like, like word is like like. And then like so, and like so, so like, and then like so. So the new word, the two new words in my house, I don't know if, if anybody, anybody else's kids do this. Primary word used at every other word in every other sentence is literally. Anybody else? Like, literally. And it's not just literally, it's literally. You have to do it like a valley girl, literally. The newest one is physically. So, that, Dad, seriously, like physically, like literally. And I'll always be like, so wait, are we talking literally or metaphorically? Like, which one are we going here? I told Michelle the other day, we were, we were driving, and I said, you know what would be hilarious? Is if somebody would write a version of the Bible the way that teenagers talk. <laughs> so like Jesus like went to Capernaum and like the Sadducees and the Pharisees were literally against him. And he started doing like miracles physically, like literally. There were so many miracles that like they didn't even know what to do. It was so literally amazing. Like wouldn't that be a fun? I would actually like to read that version of the Bible. It would be very entertaining. My kids even text like that. Do your kids text? Dad, like literally, like, can I go like to my friend's house like tonight? I'm like, what? I don't even know why I went down that road because that really wasn't my point. Um, my point was, is that it seemed to happen really fast where one minute I was holding my kids and many of you have raised kids and you're done and you're like, just wait, John, it gets worse. But it's like, it happens so fast that, you know, I was wiping their noses and other, other things. 
And now I'm fixing to have to like start teaching my daughter how to drive. Like it's, it's, it's creepy, it's freaky, you know? And so something happened in this text that I'm about to read to you. I was reading the other day and it happened so fast that you might've missed it. At the end of Genesis, at the end of the book of Genesis, the Israelites have been invited down to Egypt and Joseph has become the second in charge. He's over all the kingdom. He's running everything. He is the guy in Egypt. And Joseph, the Pharaoh tells Joseph, I want you to bring all of your family down here and I want you to pick the best land, the best land you can possibly find. You get it. Whatever you want, you got it. One chapter later, in Exodus chapter one, they're slaves. And I got to processing through like, how did that happen so fast? Because we, we can just skip through that and begin reading. And, but how do, you li- how do you literally, how do you go from being the best of the land, number two in charge, you get whatever you want, to, to slavery? And there's a text that I want to read to you that I think brings an insight for all of us that I think we can learn from today in Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1 verse 8 says this. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Watch verse 11. This is where I want you to lean in. Therefore, so because of all that, this is what they decided to do. This was their plan. This was their tactic. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses. The enemy's strategy was to burden them with tasks. And somehow this genius plan, even though the enemy knew that they were bigger than them, stronger than them, they knew that they could sneak attack them because I'm pretty sure Pharaoh didn't show up one day and say, okay, guys, here's the plan. I know yesterday uh, you had whatever you wanted, but today you're going to be slaves. Everybody good with that? Everybody good? Okay, cool. Here we go. Get the whips. Here we go. It's something that happens slowly, progressively. They didn't see it coming. And this scripture, this story gives us insight into how the enemy is trying to make us slaves. And the enemy doesn't come with big stuff sometimes. Sometimes he comes with, with small things. And so today I want to talk to you on the subject of when the task becomes the master. When the task becomes the master. Um, I love the passage, the scripture that talks about it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things that we don't see. What, how did this play out? What, what did they do? Did they show up and say, hey, okay, guys, uh, hey, could you guys just help us build this wall real quick? We're partners here, you know. Can we work together? Can we do something together? I'm really fascinated. The scripture doesn't go into great detail about how this was played out, but it gives us little snippets and little insights, and I want to try to show you a few of them today that I think the enemy would use to come at us, that would sneak attack us, that would try to take things that we see as tasks or or, 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 or things that we have going on in our life that God would take and, and slowly begin to turn those in, into us. Because our culture is very much in the, in the process or the addiction of being busy. Um, if somebody calls you and says, what are you doing? You just instinctively say, I've been busy. 
Uh, and it's almost like if you don't say you've been busy, you feel like a loser. <laughs> it's, like, it's like become this badge of honor. Like if I'm not busy, then who am I? And we've begun to find our identity is wrapped up in, in this. So what I want to do is I want to take um, these, this, this passage and, and try to unpack unpack some of it for you today. So let's go back to the opening verse, verse 11. It says, therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. There's a lot of words in here in English that I want to try to unpack in Hebrew to give us further insights. But really, I only have one point. I have three things that I'm going to come back to as warnings or, or, or signs that we may be slipping into this. But really, I have one simple point that, that we is, is simply to don't be taken to task. Don't be taken to task. Let's go back into this, this text. Um, taskmasters. What is a taskmaster? Well, I wanted to go back to the original text, the Hebrew text, and this is what a ta- taskmaster is. In Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word mass, and it means a burden, forced labor, uh, forced service. I like the last one the best, a tributary. A tributary. A tributary, we know in nature, a tributary is a small river that feeds into a big one. That's what a tributary is. But it's also used as a way to pay tribute to something. In the Old Testament, many times when, a, when an army would conquer another army or another people, that people would then be in slavery to them or they would have to come and pay tribute to them. Uh, one of those instances is in uh, 1 Chronicles 18.2. It says, David also defeated the Moabites and they became subject to him and brought him tribute. One translation in the contemporary English version says this. It says, David also defeated the Moabites, so they had to accept him as their ruler and pay taxes to him. If we're not careful, our tasks can be something that we pay tribute to, or they become rulers over us. Things that we just do on a daily without realizing that that thing that we're doing on the daily is slowly, progressively becoming a slave master over us. Something that we cannot no longer control. Another word in this passage is the word afflicted. So it was the taskmaster's job to afflict, to bring affliction. And the thing that they were bringing affliction was burdens. So they would give them a burden and the burden would then become an affliction. And the Hebrew word for, for affliction is the Hebrew word ana, and it means to be occupied and to be busied with. Oh, we're starting to begin to see some of the enemy's tactics. I don't think the enemy comes with things that's the massive thing and just puts it in front of us. Hey, you want to be an alcoholic? Hey, you want to be addicted to porn? This will be great. No, the enemy comes with things that simply distract us and pull us to the side and afflict us as distractions. It's the small things that he's coming to show us. Now, what, did they, what were they tasked with? This is an important question. So the children of Israel were tasked with a burden. What was their burden? It tells us at the end of verse 11. It says, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities. So their task was to build. It was to build something. So then the question has to be turned around and said right back to us, what are we busy building? What am I building? Am, am I spending my time building wealth? Am I building a business? Am I building a career? Am I building influence? None of those things are wrong, but it forces us to slow down and say, what is it that my tasks 
are pointing to and what is it that I'm trying to build in the process? Because if we're not careful, the task at hand will become chains to the feet. And I wanna show you this really slow progression how a task over time without us being aware of it can slowly become a slave master. It can slowly become chains. So as I process through this, I begin to realize that we could actually become addicted. We could actually become um, slave driven to good stuff, like good things. Uh, if, if you're physically fit and you go to the gym and you're, you become obsessive with it, doing a good thing, being healthy, could actually begin to impede on other more important things in your life. Um, if, if you're a great steward, let's say you're just so good with money and you're a great steward, did you know that you could actually be, uh, stewardship could actually lead to greed? Let's say that you're a real clean person. First off, God bless you. you <laughs> you're speaking my love language. But did you know that your obsessive cleanliness could actually become something people call OCD? Don't elbow anybody. That's awkward. Like, that'd be weird. All I'm saying is something that's good, if it becomes too much about the task at hand, could actually be something that could, could enslave us. And it, it made me think about a series that we finished not too long ago on the orphan heart. And if you remember, we talked about one of the things Leif, Leif, Leif Hetland said, is he said, an orphan thinks this way. I must do something in order to have something in order to be something. See the cycle? I must do a task in order to have satisfaction, in order to be something. And he flipped it up on, on, its, on its head and said, no, as Christ followers, as sons and daughters, I already have everything I need, right? I already am. I am who God's called me to be. Therefore, I have everything I need. And since I have everything I need, now I can do something. It's the difference between you having the task and the task having you. Because if we're not careful, these tasks can be some, become something um, that drives us to a place that we don't want to go. And that's innocent enough because it just starts as a task. No big deal. But if we're not careful, the task will become a burden. The burden will become a whip and the whip becomes chains. So I want to I lean into this today and I, because really... How do we get off this hamster wheel? How do we get off this hamster wheel? If, if you're in a process, and this is even fixing your ears a little bit, and you're leaning in like, okay, where's he going with this? My question became, how do we get off this hamster wheel? How do we make sure that, that we're doing tasks for the right reasons? Because we gotta do tasks. Tasks are tasks. But, but how do we get off the hamster wheel and not be addicted to busy, not be addicted to my gift? Did you know that your gift could actually become a slave driver? That's scary. It's intimidating to think that my gift could actually become something that controls me more than I control it. So I want to talk about three things, um, three ways or three reminders in the text. We're going to just let the text preach to us. Three ways or reminders in the text uh, to help us avoid letting the task drive us into slavery. Okay? So the first one, let's go back to verse 8. Verse 8 says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt. This is key. Point number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Watch for new kings. Watch for new kings. Let's think about what a king is. A king is something that comes into the room, comes into your life, arri arrives on the scene that everyone must bow down to. 
You bend your knee to the king. If you walk into the, to the, to the king's presence, you will bow. You will bend your knee. You will let the king know that I see you as an authority figure over me. And because of that, I'm going to kneel. I'm going to bow down. And so we must be watchful of this. We must know. And this is what happened to Israel. It says it. There arose a new king. This king didn't know who Joseph was. There was a change in authority. There was an authoritarian thing that, that shifted and changed. And if you look back over your, the course of your life, depending on how old you are, you'll be able to see new kings that came on the scene. Not just in your life, but in our culture. Uh, I can remember when I was in college, when I was just finishing high school. When I was in high school, we had this thing called the bag phone. Y'all remember the bag phone? Some of you are like, I have no idea what a bag phone is. Is this like, is this like the, the thing they play at the funerals with the big bagpipes? Like, is that a bag phone? I don't know what you're talking about. They were in the car. But cell phones came about around this time. You know what cell phones were? A new king has arrived. A new king has arrived. I remember um, I had a flip phone. Y'all remember flip phones? Somebody in here is like, I still got one. Uh, is that bad? So I had a flip phone when they first came out with the internet on your phone. It was brand new. There was, iPhones weren't out yet, nothing like that. It was a flip phone. And back in the day, y'all, we had to text. It was hard work to text, wasn't it? Can I get amen? Like back in the day, if you wanted to text, you're like 33-222-777-554-444-666-777. Like it was hard work. And I remember going, who's gonna do this? Why don't we just talk to each other on the phone? This is the stupidest thing ever. No one's going to text, right? Hmm. Now, if you try to call me, I'm like, hey, how's it going? I'll text you back because I don't want to talk on the phone. But I remember when the internet first came to cell phones, and I, I paid like an extra $5 a month to get this on my phone. And I remember pulling it up, pulling up the internet, and it took like five minutes to load. It was the dumbest thing ever. And all I could do was check scores on sports because there was no video, there was no pictures or nothing. But what happened when cell phones came on the scene, I found a study done in February of 2021 by Statista uh, that found that the average person spends five to six hours a day on their phone. Okay? A new king has arrived. Social media. I remember MySpace. Y'all remember MySpace? You had to pick your favorite song and you go to the page and music starts playing. Um, Social media, same, same study, found that the average person spends two and a half hours a day on social media. A new king has arrived, right? And there's lots of things like this. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's a career. Um, maybe it's a relationship with a friend that just starts taking more of your time. Uh, it could be a business, maybe you started a business. And I'll be so bold as to say, maybe it's kids. Because when kids come on the scene, a new king has arrived, you know? Uh, I love, Jimmy Evans says this sometimes, and it, it, it cracks me up. He said, kids only want one thing. They want to steal your time and crush your soul. That's their only job. That's, that's why they came to earth. But even kids, like whatever it is, can be something that comes on the scene, comes into your calendar, comes into your life, comes into a situation where it demands more time. But here's, here's the key to, to, to noticing kings when they come into your life. Part of it is just being cognizant and identifying it as something that's trying to come in as an authority figure in your life, okay? But here's the key to all those, is only you can crown kings in your life. No one else can crown it. 
by our, by our time, by our lips, by our ears, by our eyes, by our hands, and by our feet. We are crowning things king in our life. So these become taskmasters. And before we know it, the children of Israel, before they knew it, a new king came to town. And all of a sudden, we don't know when it happened. We don't really know what day it happened on. Because one day we were living off the fruit of the land and the best parts of the land. And the next day we were making hay with no straw. And we have no idea how that came to this part. I'll tell you one of the ways a new king came to town. And we must be mindful of these kings that arrive on the scene in our lives. And if I could be really bold and really honest, you know, there's a word for this that we, in the Bible, it's called idolatry. <laughs> because idolatry is anything or anyone in your life who takes away from Jesus in your life. Anything. Okay? So we're, we're just going to be mindful of this. Uh, and, and how do we do this? How do we debunk kings? Well, there is a king of kings. Jesus is the king of kings. So every king that tries to come into your life, he's the king over that king. So if we're crowning Jesus king, we're dethroning other kings in our life. All right? So let's go to, let's go to the next one, verse 9. I love this. Verse 9 says, and he said to his people, this is Pharaoh. He says, look, the people of the children of Israel, now watch this, are more and mightier than we are. They're stronger than we are, and there's more of them than there is of us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of a war, that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you are bigger than your task. Your task is not bigger than you. You are bigger than your task. And I, it's the, iron of the uh, irony of this is crazy when you really think about it. Um, the children of Israel, their slavery started. Think about this. The reason they became slaves was because they were stronger than the Egyptians. Their strength drove them to slavery because the Pharaoh noticed their strength. Did you know that the enemy notices your strength? Not your strength, but you partnered with Christ. You in Christ is bigger, better, stronger, mightier than anything. So it should come as no surprise to us. This is a perfect symbolism, a perfect picture of the enemy's attack on your life is the same strategy that Pharaoh went to make them slaves. He wants you to be a slave. Do you know that? He wants you to be a slave to sin. And his, his tactics are very similar to this, and this is why it speaks to us so, so well. It was their strength that led them directly into slavery. That's crazy. Your strength in Christ is why you have a target on your back. And it's why the enemy wants to lead you into slavery. And he's not going to show up and say, hey, you want to be a slave? It's going to be great. He's going to do it slowly, little by little. He's going to introduce things into your life. He's going to bring new kings into your life. He's going to do things to, to distract you, to get you out of focus, and to live. This is really the, the thing he's trying to do. He's trying to get your mind out of the things of heaven and into the things of earth. He wants you to go from being kingdom-minded to being earthly-minded. He wants fear to drive you, not faith to drive you. And he'll do this little by little, over and over and over again. And I get it, you know, like, what's this whole task thing? 
And you're sitting there going, well, John, you know, I got to do tasks. Don't, listen, don't go to work tomorrow and be like, well, my pastor said that I don't have to do tasks anymore. So you do that report yourself, you know. And don't, fellas, don't try to go home tonight and be like, hey, I'm not doing the dishes because John said not to do tasks. I don't have to do dishes anymore. Listen, you got to mow your yard. I'm not talking about those kind of tasks, okay? So let me, let me just camp there for a second. How do we identify what's a task, an innocent enough task, and something that is a slave driver or taskmaster? Okay, two, two quick things. Let me, let me differentiate two quick things, okay, uh, so, to help us decipher. One, a task becomes a master when it becomes bigger than your ability to say no to it. So if you want to know when a task becomes a, a master, it's when you don't no longer have the ability to say no to it. You know, used to, you could have a glass of wine every, you know, three days or once a week or, or whatever, and it wasn't that big of a deal. It was just a little thing, and now it's gotten to the point where you can't, you, you can't say no to it anymore. That is now a master. Uh, a second one is this. A, a task becomes a master when it becomes part of who you are not what you do. Um, if your task becomes the fabric of who you are as a human being, that will soon become a master over you. And here's, what I'm, here's what I mean by that. Many times, this is what I talk about as a gift, a strength, could actually become a, 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 a slave master. Let's, let's pretend that I, that I have a gift to communicate. I love preaching, it's one of my favorite things to do. I think it's amazing. Uh, I really feel like the Lord uses me in this way. But if I ever use preaching and I say that preaching is not what I do, it's who I am. I'm not a preacher. I'm a son of God that just happens to preach, right? So, so if, you, if, you be, if you have something that you do, but you begin to describe it as who you are, you, you are not what you do. You're not what you do. Let me say that again. You are not what you do. And if we begin to take our tasks and wrap them up into not just what we do, but who we are, we're, we're, we're no longer being directed, we're being driven. We're not called to, have you ever heard somebody say that? Have you ever heard somebody say that? He's just so driven. She's, it's like a badge of honor. He, she's just so driven. Well, you know who else was driven? The Israelites as slaves. You know what you do with slaves? You drive them. You crack the whip and you drive them harder. You drive a car, you drive a carriage, a horse and buggy, you gotta drive that thing. You must push on it, you must whip it, you must do something to make it go. And we are not called as believers, as sons and daughters to be driven. We're not called to be driven. Um, let me show you this text in Romans 8, 14. It says, for those who are driven by the Spirit of God. No, it doesn't say that. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Slaves are driven. And if you're, if you're a slave driver, you know what your one tool in, is? Fear. If you're going to be a taskmaster, if you're a slave driver, you only need one tactic, fear. If you don't, I will whip you. And so you'll do the task, but it's completely driven by fear. 
And in this process, even for the last several weeks, as I've thought about this, 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 this passage, this sermon, I've begun to analyze tasks by what's motivating me to do this task. You know what I found? A lot of times my tasks are driven by my incessant need to be a people pleaser. I'll do something just because I'm afraid of what you'll think about me. I'm being driven by fear. Instead of saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to direct me, I'm, I'm, I'm so driven that I, that I accomplish tasks. Did you, did you know that there's a lot of really successful people that have co- accomplished a lot of tasks to do something really great, but they've done it for the wrong reasons? They've done it out of, out of an orphan heart. And God doesn't want us living like this So slaves are driven by force. Children of God are driven by invitation. We are invited to be directed by the Holy Spirit. Not driven like slaves. So let's be more directed than we are driven. Holy Spirit, what do you you want to say to me today? I, I don't want to be driven by culture. I don't want to be driven by fear. I don't want to be driven by meeting everybody else's needs. Holy Spirit, what would you direct me to do today? And I want to put my hand to that plow, and I want to do those tasks for the kingdom of God. So let's review. We're going to look out for new kings. We're going to, our radar is up. Like, what in my life is popping its head up to try to distract me and bow my knee to that instead of making sure I continue bowed to the, to the will of the Father in my life. So we're gonna look out for new kings. The other thing we're gonna do is we're gonna be mindful that we are bigger than the task. In Christ, I am not, um, I'm not accepted by what I accomplish. I'm accepted before I accomplish anything, okay? So I'm not driven by tasks because I'm bigger than the task. I'm bigger than the task. And third, I wanna skip forward a couple of chapters. So Exodus 1 we see them going into slavery. The, first, the next couple of chapters are about their experience in slavery. And you should read that tonight and go in there and see if there's some symbolisms of how sometimes we become slaves and, and, and masters over us and we try to create straw with uh, bricks with no straw. There's a lot of cool, cool symbolisms there. But I want to show you the reaction in chapter 3, okay? So in chapter 3, I want to show you the heart of the Father. Um, because in chapter 3, God's, God sends a deliverer. And he has this burning bush, burning bush moment with Moses. And this is what I want to read to you in, in chapter 3, verse 7. This is the Lord and Moses having a conversation. It says, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Now watch this. I have heard them crying because of their slave drivers. The things that came to be taskmasters over them caused them to cry out to me. And I'm, I'm hearing them. And I'm concerned about their suffering. Now, this is important, and we should pause here because this gives us a picture into the heart of the Father. Sometimes we feel like we're alone, we're suffering, we're slaves, we, we feel like we're on a hamster wheel, we don't know how to get off this hamster wheel. This scripture shows us that the heart of the Father is compassionate, he hears your cry, and he's working on our behalf to send a deliverer to help us. Verse 8 says, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, uh, uh, Hivites, Jebusites, and the Cellulites. <laughs> it's such a bad joke. Like, I, you guys are so gracious. I say it every time, and every time you laugh. You're just the best. 
at humoring my stupid dad jokes. Verse 9, this is where I want you to really lean in. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Number three, we should cry out for a deliverer. The Israelites missed the first and the second cues. They didn't see the new king. They didn't see it coming. They just assumed that that king was going to be the same as the last king. And that that king wouldn't rule and reign over them with oppression. They just assumed. They missed it. Um, And they didn't really understand that they were bigger than the task. They didn't really comprehend that they were actually stronger and mightier than the Egyptians. It's like an elephant that's tied up when it's a baby with a little chain. And then this elephant grows up to be this huge beast of an animal that could snap it like a twig but doesn't know any better. They didn't understand that they were mightier than the enemy. And maybe you're at a point where you could relate to the Israelites. You're like, yeah, I didn't see that king coming. I didn't see that going the way it was going to go. And that one snuck up on me. And I don't know when it happened. The days were long, but the years were short. And that thing just snuck up on me and I didn't see it. Or maybe you have lived your life um, as a victim or you've lived your life in a, in a, in a cowardly way where you didn't see your, your, your influence and your strength in Christ. And so you didn't carry that authority in your life. And so you find yourselves similar to the place that the Israelites are in. What I love about this is even if you've missed it, even if you missed all the cues, even if you've messed it up, and even if you are living a life of slavery, of sin, or slavery in your thinking or your behavior, God's like, I still hear your cries. And I don't come to rub it in your face that you messed it up. I'm sending a deliverer to come and deliver you out of slavery. And this, this idea of Moses coming as the deliverer was really, it was a true story. It was great. There's a lot of great things in there. But like all stories in the Bible, it was a physical picture of a spiritual truth. It was a shadowing. It was a foreshadowing of a coming Christ that would come to bring deliverance for all of us out of the slavery of sin. And he would come as the deliverer and deliver us out of our struggles and out of our shame and out of our guilt. And I want to show you this. I want to prove this to you. So in Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses Moses is is giving this word, but he's actually giving a messianic prophecy. He's prophesying the coming Messiah. And in Deuteronomy 18.15, it says, The Lord will will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses, from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Now, the reason I know that's a messianic prophecy is if you go over to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3, you'll find Peter, and he's affirming this prophetic word. He's affirming and preaching Jesus, and he uses this exact text that Moses said as the fulfillment of this messianic prophecy in Acts chapter 3, verse 22. It says, this is Peter speaking. He says, for Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. He's speaking about Jesus. So this is, this is such a beautiful story for us. It gives us the warning signs of what to look for as our enemy, the devil, comes to attack us. He's going to do just like Pharaoh did. He's going he's gonna to behave like Pharaoh. He's gonna, his tactics are like Pharaoh. But simultaneously, it has a dual picture of a coming Messiah that comes to deliver us from our slavery. This is such good news. This is such good news for us. So I want to pray for you. I want to I walk you through this. 
And the most beautiful part about this passage is verse 9, where it says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I want you to know as you cry out, I'm going I'm to walk you through a couple of things here as we close. And as we cry out to the Lord today, I want you to do it with full faith, knowing that he hears you. He hears you. I know that sounds so simple, but what would it feel like to just be in a dungeon yelling for help and no one's coming? No one's coming. My kids and I were addicted to the show right now called I Shouldn't Be Alive. It's, a, it's, it's an awesome show. It's on Amazon. You should watch it. That's not a, they're not paying me. But every time these people get in a place where they're screaming for help and there's no one there to hear them, no one here to hear their cries. And that's a desperate place to be. But for us, I want you to know as we lean into this and as I walk you through a couple of things, as you cry out in just a moment, I want you to know that he hears your cry and he's sending a deliverer to deliver you. Father, would you help me for the next few moments to, to help us walk through a couple of things here, Lord, just quickly and briefly, to help this seed take root because we know that the word of God is a seed and I have thrown the seed out. I have thrust it off the stage today into the ears of everyone under the sound of my voice. But Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help take that seed and deposit it, not on rocky soil, not amongst the thorns, and let not the birds snatch it up. Let it fall on fertile ground. Let it take root and produce fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. God, we come before you in this moment, and we admit that maybe we have had kings come up in our lives that, that we've crowned. We've done things that we, we, we probably shouldn't have done. And we haven't lived with the authority that you've given us. We've cowered to the enemy. We've ran from the enemy. But God, today, something's shifting in the atmosphere. And I pray that you would begin to help us understand that we are no longer slaves, that we have the good of the land, that you are taking us into a fruitful and prosperous land and we don't want to let tasks and the things around us distract us. God, we want to be kingdom-minded first. We don't want to lean into the things of this world. We will not be driven by fear. So even as, as we sit here with our eyes closed and our, and our heads bowed, I, I ask you to just begin to, to pray. Don't let me pray for you. Maybe you're here and, and you have sensed something as I've spoken, something that's, that you have noticed, uh, that you have crowned as a king in your life. Maybe it's a secret addiction, something that maybe even your spouse doesn't know about. Um, maybe something, maybe it's a, a career or something that you've just been really driven towards that is, is, has come and maybe overpowered or taken over some time or, or emphasis that you've been giving to the kingdom of God or the things of, of the Lord. Whatever that is, I want you to picture yourself dethroning it something that maybe you have cowered to in the past. Maybe, maybe it is your phone. I know for me that's a big one that the Lord needs to deal with me on, that this silly thing has come in and been a king in my life, and I need to reach up and take the crown off that thing's head, and I need to give more time to more important things. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's, maybe it's fairly innocent. Maybe it's not a big deal, but it's just a wake-up call to say, you know what, I'm going to dethrone that. And so I encourage you, even, even right now, I don't care if you say it out loud, but even, maybe just under your breath or to your own uh, praying, praying to yourself, you're just saying, I dethrone you. You are no longer king. And I want you to picture that thing in your life. Maybe it is a secret addiction. Maybe it is something that your, your spouse doesn't really even know that you struggle with or really nobody knows you struggle with. 
but we're just speaking by faith. We're, we're, we're declaring to this king. We are talking to this king. And you're telling this king, you will no longer be king in my life. You're a tool that I will use, but you are no longer in a place of authority in my life. Whatever that is. And then I encourage you as the days creep on, have a conversation with somebody about this. This is why it's important to be in community, to be in a community group here at the church, to have brothers and sisters in Christ that you can come to them and openly share and say, hey, Pastor John's message spoke to me and this is something in the area of my life that I need help with. Will you help me? Will you keep me accountable to this? I'm gonna set some time restrictions on my phone. I'm gonna, I'm gonna delete the app of social media on my phone, whatever it is. We're gonna go through some activation things. It wasn't just a good sermon that we forget and move on. We activate something in our life to make sure that we're taking and dethroning that thing in our life. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.